We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I'm Dave Briggs, home. Ross Tucker, home. We will go to home markets as we always do. A couple of great guests on the program. Mike Renner, lead college football analyst, pro football focus, also a former contestant. On The Bachelorette, I want to know who's the most eligible bachelor in the NFL. Could anybody possibly top Jimmy Garoppolo? Doubtful. Also, the Hall of Fame vote was very notable for the one that didn't vote for Derek Jeter. He's not unanimous. Uh, That's interesting. Just one guy. Talk to John Heyman, uh, MLBNetworkRadio.com baseball analyst. And Larry Walker gets in, the former Colorado Rocky, so I do not have to be pissed off to start this hump day. But Ross Tucker, we will get to all the ex-conversation dominating the NFL, but we start with college basketball. The malice at Allen Fieldhouse. This was almost Detroit Pistons-like. I don't know if you saw it, the story everyone's talking about across the sports universe. Kansas and Kansas State, late in the game, 22-point lead for Kansas, dribbling it out. And Kansas State, down 22. Dewan Gordon steals the ball from Silvio D'Souza. D'Souza takes offense, swats him, stands over him to intimidate him. Benches clear, ugly scene, ugly, ugly brawl. Here's what it sounded like. And that'll do it, this version. And a block to finish. And DeSosa blocks it, and now the bench is acting. Just unnecessary. Yeah. That's not good. This is, a this punch is bad. Oh, this is bad. This is ex- No. No good. Oh, this is terrible. There are going to be ramifications for this going forward. And it's just, just no point to it. Yeah, that is not acceptable i would get your my team to the locker room right now there were definitely punches thrown yeah. these officials cannot leave the floor until they sort this out and this could have ramifications going forward for both teams Almost, folks, almost the malice at the palace that will forever, that did forever change NBA history. And I'll tell you why. Silvio D'Souza, what you don't hear, though, the guy that, in my mind, escalated this entire thing, started the brawl, had a stool raised overhead that he was prepared to hit a Kansas State player with if an assistant coach didn't take that stool away. If you're watching on the radio.com app, you can see that unforgettable photo. D'Souza should never, ever put on the Kansas uniform ever again. That guy should say goodbye to college basketball forever, in my estimation. What did you make of how this all unfolded, Ross? You know, it's funny, Dave, because I watched the video a bunch of times, but I didn't see what you just described of Gordon stealing the ball from D'Souza first. So I want you to describe it. So here, here's okay. what I saw, okay? Yeah. I yep. saw the Kansas State kid, didn't know his name, go in for a layup at the end of the game. And I saw D'Souza swat him. And that's okay. But then I saw him stand over him, which was entirely unnecessary when you're winning by 20 and you just swat the guy standing over him. And immediately, I saw the K-State guys come to their buddy's defense. And I don't blame the K-State guys at all. I mean, to swat him and then stand up over him like that, um, I have no problem with those guys clearing the bench. And well, then, let me put it- I don't know who threw the first punch or not. It looked like it was D'Souza. And then there was, I, there was some guy came flying in in a suit. I don't even know who that dude was. I think it was an injured player. Uh, and we can get into the rest of it after that. But I thought that started it. So my question is, 
Was there something weird or strange with the steal by Gordon? Like, did you feel like Gordon's steal, like, was Kansas just kind of dribbling the ball out and Gordon unnecessarily stole it from D'Souza? Because the videos I watched didn't go back that far. Let's put it in football terms. This is like uh, Patriots are up 25 points, fourth quarter. I wouldn't call it victory formation, which some people are comparing it to because there's clearly an understanding in victory formation. We're not going to make a play on the ball. Somebody could get hurt in that situation. But if you're running the ball to run out the clock in the last two minutes of a football game and some defender comes up and just goes nuts trying to strip the ball – Look, it may not be what you like as an opposing football team, but the clock is still running. The game is still going. So, yes, a lot of people felt that Dewan Gordon for Kansas State started this whole thing by making a play on the ball, going in uh, and trying to get some points on Kansas when the game was over. They were clearly the Jayhawks dribbling out this game because it was in all effect over. I have no problem with a Kansas State player making a steal there. He's a kid. He's an athlete who still wants to put some points on the board and never wants to quit. This is not victory formation like we see in the NFL when there is a clear understanding that you don't make a play that could injure another player. This is all 100% on Silvio D'Souza. And again, if Bill Self has any integrity, and that's been in question, in recent years, in real question, he should dismiss D'Souza from the program forever. They don't need him. Say goodbye. This guy ruined your reputation. It damn near puts you on the front page of newspapers across the country and cable news outlets across the country. This would have been the type of coverage we saw from Malice at the Palace had this kid hit someone with a stool. But let me just to go back to football perspective. If you were in that situation, an offensive lineman late in the game, clearly it's over and you get too aggressive a play for a defender knowing the game is over. How do you react? Yeah. So um, that brings me back to when Greg Schiano had his Tampa Bay Buccaneers guys diving to try to hit the ball out while it was being snapped as the Giants were in victory formation, diving at the knees and ankles of the offensive linemen for the Giants. And I can just tell you right now, Dave, without any hesitation, I would try to put my cleats on their neck if they did that. That is unacceptable. We're not firing off at you. We're not coming out and engaging you physically. The game is over. You've got no timeouts left. We are being gentlemanly and courteous and taking a knee and ending it rather than trying to get more yards, rather than trying to get more points, and even rather than double-teaming your butt in the run game and firing off at you. We're, We're losing yards. We'll lose a couple yards. The game's over. If you are diving at my legs while we're doing that at the end, we're going to have issues. Nobody likes it. It's not fun when you're on the other side of victory formation. I've been there. It's a bad feeling. It's a really bad feeling. We lost. It's over. But you don't do what those guys did, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, I remember those guys apologizing to the Giants, being like, sorry, but we have to do this. Shiano wants us to do this. And then Shiano said, well, that's how we do things at Rutgers. As if that's okay. Like, as if that makes it all right. And I I crushed him for that for years. So I need to now go back and watch the video a little bit further to see how bad I think Gordon Steele is. Because that, that might change things a little bit. Because watching it, all I thought is this D'Souza guy is ridiculous kick him out of college basketball forever. Um, but if if he was like holding the ball or dribbling it out and the and the, the was there less time on the shot clock than there was on the uh, was there less time on the game clock than there was on the shot clock? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, there was six seconds left in the game. But again, it's hard for me to compare this to victory formation in football because football, the obvious difference there is you're talking about people's livelihoods there. Right, I but mean, Dave, you make, but Dave, you, you make a play he, on a guy, you can end his career. But, Dave, they were dribbling the ball out to yes. end the game, and game they over. were not trying to go score more points. We got our good friend Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus with us today. Mike, great to have you on the program. Everybody check out PFF.com, the best NFL analysis, college football analysis anywhere on the Internet. Uh, Right now they've got their NFL MVP up and their best player in all of football up. We'll discuss that later in the program. But, Mike, do you like seeing brawls in professional or collegiate sports? I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the heel and say yes. I think it's I think it shows that they're into the game. I mean, if if you don't fight a little bit on a you know on the hardwood uh, between uh, the lines, you you don't give a damn about the game. So I do think that if you're uh, you know a fan of sport, a fan of people, the passion behind it, I, I think you want to see a fight every now and then. Mike, are you? Uh, I should we should ask this before you came on, but are you at the Senior Bowl right now? I am. Yeah, I'm down here in Mobile. Can you set the scene for uh, the people that are watching and listening? I know a lot of people have heard of the Senior Bowl, but can you just describe what it's really like to be down there? Because believe it or not, I never have been. Really? Okay, well, it's a little absurd. Uh, Sometimes it's a lot absurd when you go to, like, the weigh-in yesterday morning where literally for two Two and a half hours, you have guys walking across the stage in their underwear and uh, NFL scouts, uh, GMs, head coaches, uh, writing down how much they weigh in their notebooks and how long their arms are. So that's a little, that to me is a little wild. But then you go and I think it's a valuable part of the evaluation process in terms of you have 100 plus guys down here, all will be at least rostered at some point in the NFL uh, in the next year. And they go up against each other in a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of drills and practice where you get to see guys who maybe, you know, if you're a guy who played at Tulsa, a guy who played at Georgia Southern, you, you didn't face an NFL, uh, you didn't face an NFL competition all year long, you get to face guys who will all be playing in the NFL. And so uh, you, you get two hours of practices for three straight days on all these guys, and you get a better chance to evaluate them against their peers. All right, so here's my question, Mike. Like, from what I know about PFF, you guys don't really care about that stuff, right? Like the arm length, the height, the weight, that stuff, even how they do in practice. Like isn't PFF's deal that you guys just go by the production on the video from the games that they played? I, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're there, so obviously I am wrong. But I thought your deal was we're not going to let that other stuff cloud the judgment of what they do on the field, their production, period. Well, yes, to some degree. So, like, this is this is still another piece of puzzle in terms of on-the-field production. You get one-on-ones where guys are guys are pass rushing and stop and pass protecting against each other and trying to, you know, trying to win. So, I do, I do think from that perspective, it's still uh, on-field production uh, at the wide receiver position, cornerback position, O-line, Z-line. Uh, not necessarily running back down here, but also quarterback. Uh, I think you get to see them throw uh, a lot of balls that uh, in a very controlled environment. So I do think that there's some of that. This we do grade all those one-on-ones here. Uh, so it is part of that. But the arm length, that like I said, the the height, weight, weigh, and stuff is kind of lost on us. We don't really, uh, we're not going to value that. Talking to Mike Renner, analyst at Pro Football Focus. Check him out, pff.com. Greatest analysis out there in college and pro football. Mike, give me the guy down there who's who's overrated, that's, that might rise up on the draft boards, that's, in your estimation, far too overrated. And give me the player who we're going to hear a lot about that we don't know yet, maybe the DK Metcalf of this class. I think the overrated one, just the quarterback class down here. Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback, uh, looks looks great throwing against there. Uh, looks great, has cannon for an arm, and actually, you know, not bad accuracy. He's not just uh, a strong arm, ball goes all over the place kind of guy, but his decision making, 
throughout his career at Oregon, it's just not been good. Any sort of big game, he's come up small. So I, I'm not a big fan of his. And then Jordan Love, Utah State QB. Uh, I mean, he almost threw more picks and touchdowns this past year. The inconsistency is just too much to get on board with uh, early on in the draft. Uh, if you're going to be drafting him first round, you're, you're taking a big risk. It reminds me a lot of someone like Deshaun Kaiser coming out where it's just there's a lot of bad on tape to where uh, are you really expecting him to clean all of that up so quickly on uh, in his NFL career. I'm, I'm very surprised he ended up even declaring for this draft, uh, Jordan Love. Uh, but, but the guy who's probably going to rise, or I, I think easily the best prospect here, South Carolina defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of people know his name. Everyone knows Derek Brown, the Auburn defensive tackle, uh, because Auburn was a little better team this past year uh, and played more, some more meaningful games. But Javon Kinlaw is just as good of a prospect, if not better. Uh, the dude ticks pretty much every box you want to see ticked from the defensive tackle position uh, and, and has been rushed in the past or at an elite level in our grading system for the past two years. So that, that's some sort of stuff we love to see here at PFF, and I think he is uh, far and away the best prospect down here in Mobile. Mike, I am so glad you mentioned both Herbert and Love. I'm seeing a lot of mock drafts where these guys are going in the first round of all of them. Some of them in the top 10, 15 picks. I, I totally agree with what you said about Herbert and the Jordan Love. So I did two games this year. I did a Wake Forest game and an Air Force game the week after those teams played Utah State. And so I watched Utah State prepping for those games. This guy could have thrown twice as many interceptions. Now, the ball looks awesome coming off his hand. He clearly has a great arm, but I'm seeing these Patrick Mahomes comparisons. I don't remember what Mahomes is really like in college, but no chance. I mean, Mike, they scored like seven points against Air Force, and against Wake Forest, he threw like two or three picks and should have had two or three more. you got to be kidding me. No, I mean, you're preaching to the choir right now in terms of just what we saw from him on the football field to project to the NFL. Like, it. I get that you have a bad situation at Utah State. He lost uh, his head coach, lost a good deal of the talent around him uh, in that offense from 2018 to 2019. But I think those are still excuses. You're still playing uh, not great competition at Utah State. You should be able to at least uh, you know do well against them if you're going to be you know a a franchise quarterback prospect, which is what you're calling them if you're drafting them top 15. So uh, yeah, I mean you mentioned it. The, the Mahomes comparisons you see some nice arm talent on tape. You see the high-level throws at times, but the quarterback is about consistency. You're dropping back to pass 40 times a game. You can't have five reps on that tape that are just god-awful that you're throwing the ball to the other team. That makes you a terrible quarterback, and I think that's uh, kind of what we've seen from Love. You can fall in love with a high end, but uh, until we see that low end, until we see just those bad throws uh, off his tape, uh, I'm not going to get on board with him as a first-rounder. All right, what about the Super Bowl and Jimmy Garoppolo? Can you remember how you analyzed him as a college quarterback? Is he better than all the critics across the country, including right here on this program, give him credit for? So we didn't actually get to grade him coming out of EIU because we do FDS, uh, and so we did not have numbers on him coming out. Uh, but I... I, I I struggle to say he's better than, than all the criticism because they're not winning because of him. I, I mean, let's let's face it right now. Kyle Shanahan, that offense, the talent that they have in terms of uh, you know speed, athleticism at the receiver positions, after the catchability, and then that defense is, is arguably the best in the NFL in terms of that combination. Uh, they really have sort of propped Jimmy G up to a big degree, but I also think he he can make plays. Doesn't take a lot of sacks. Well, uh, you know, has some action under pressure. I think he is very much a top twenty quarterback in the NFL, uh, which I guess it's not giving him too much credit considering what his contract is uh, and, and how much they're paying him to just be. But I think that's. I don't think he's a bad quarterback by any means, and I, I do think that he's, uh, you know, almost in that uh, Andy Dalton tier of QBs. Uh, at the moment, I think that's about how I'd see uh, Jimmy Garoppolo going forward. Mike, we've talked to some of the other guys at PFF about this, but since you are the, the lead draft analyst, 
I got to get your thoughts on Burrow. And if you've ever seen, I don't know how many years you've been doing this now, but if you've ever seen a guy go from average to unbelievable like that in a year, at any position, especially quarterback. No, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. Like it's obviously hyperbolic to say this is one of the most absurd things I've ever seen, but it's one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. Like no one should be able to uh, completely just change. And it was almost confidence level. Like he, he last year moving inside the pocket, just so many things about the quarterback position that you kind of, uh, as an evaluator, you're skeptical on if a guy can fix. He fixes overnight. Uh, doesn't play a down of bad football in 2019. Like literally every single game is playing at an elite level. Doesn't have one sort of, oh man, that wasn't his best effort out there. Every single game he came showed up 70 plus completion percentage, just throwing, uh, you know, seeds left and right on the football field. I truly have never seen anything like it, but I, I do think that he is uh, what we saw on tape this year was the best tape I've seen from a quarterback prospect since I started doing this, you know, in 2012. So I, I do think that he is every bit the number one overall pick. And uh, having heard, you know, rumors and whatever from the Bengals down here, they're, they're not looking to trade. They're not looking at Herbert. They're not looking at any of these other guys. It's going to be Joe Burrow. Talking to Mike Renner, lead college football analyst, profootballfocus.com. Uh, Tua Tugabailoa, obviously the other story, not able to work out. Uh, how... Where does he go? Is it number five to Miami? There are rumors that Miami would like to move up and get Burrow. Where do you see him going? And I got to do a combo question here this morning. So you were also a bachelorette contestant season 14. First, the Tua answer Two, who would be the best bachelor in the NFL today? Ooh, I, I think we actually touched on it. I'll, I'll hit that one first. I think we touched on it. Jimmy Garoppolo uh, would probably slay on that, on that show. He, he, his season would be some must-see TV if he was on that. So I'll, I'll go with Jimmy G as the bachelor. But uh, the, the Tua Tagovailoa, the, the, Tagovailoa, the whole conversation around him is really, you need an asterisk with it right now because if you're projecting him at this point, uh, it's almost a fool's there. And that hip injury is a serious career-threatening injury at the moment. Like with, with what could happen in the upcoming months, in terms of, uh, you know, the blood loss that could happen within the bone. Uh, obviously, I've, I've talked to doctors about this, and he, at any point uh, from now until probably uh, midsummer, if doctors find that uh, his hip bone there that, that he shattered uh, has lost blood flow, he might not, he'll have to have a hip replacement. And if you have a hip replacement, no doctor in the world is going to recommend you play it football in the NFL at that point. So I think teams are going to be very worried about that, especially come end of April. So the whole conversation about where he goes, I mean, purely on the field, injury aside, I don't think you can draft him too highly. I think him and Joe Burrow should go, should go one and two uh, in, you know, that order Burrow first, then to uh, if he were to be fully healthy, but that hip injury is going to linger over him. I don't think you see teams necessarily trade up, for him at that point because you don't want to be the GM who trained up for a guy who could never see the football field because of an injury. So uh, I think eventually, all said and done, I, I think he's a strong defense to the Dolphins and the Dolphins end up selecting him because I do think that he is a franchise quarterback prospect. And if you are the Dolphins with three first-round picks, you can take that mm-hmm. swing and take that chance on a guy like Tua hoping that uh, the injury doesn't come back to bite you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Generally speaking, and let's start with relationships, for example. 
if a gal dumped you, do you want her to find someone to be happy? Or are you bitter like me? If someone dumps me or if a business fires me, I want her to get fat and die alone. And I want that business to fail. I want your ratings to suck in my case. What say you? <laughs> you know what? No, and I think that's okay. I, it's it's weird. Like all of my exes, like girls I dated, I truly wish for them to have success and to be happy. And I think part of that's because they didn't really break up with me, number one. Um, it might have yeah. been no, that sounds bad. It might have been mutual. I don't know, but like I don't. I don't look at it that way, but I, I'm, I am happy and want all of them to have success. I, I think it has something to do, Dave, with being, and I'm not talking about you necessarily, but with me being very happy in my own life and yeah. very happy with my wife and my kids and very secure with who I am, I'm, I go ha be happy. I'm happy. I hope they're happy too. Now, when I put it in perspective of football, that was always a weird one for me, Dave. Like after the Buffalo Bills cut me or the Redskins cut me because I did not want to see the team have success. But I had friends on the team. So like I wanted those guys to do well other than the guy that they had replaced me. I wanted him to suck. I wanted him to not play well. So it's a little yeah. bit more convoluted, I feel like, when you get to a team sport like that. Because I didn't want them to win. I didn't want them to have success. But if they did, I would have been happy for the guys on the team that were friends on my team. But I looked at that team's success as the decision makers' success. I didn't want the decision makers to have success after they decided to move on from me. But I also wanted my guys to play well, my buddies, and not be miserable. It's a weird... Uh, mixed uh, family. Yeah. And we asked the question in terms of yes, no, or depends on the person, which is easily leading only 9% of you at this moment say you're happy when your ex has success. I don't think it depends on the person. I think it depends on the situation as in, if you were dumped, you want your ex to get fat. I can't remember being brokenhearted about the end of a relationship at any point in my career, in my life. So I can't for say wish one of these women uh, was fat, but I've been dumped um, several times in my professional career. And each and every time I root for that company's ratings or whoever replaced me on whatever show or time slot I anchored to fail, to have crappy ratings. If that makes me small and bitter and petty, so be it. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But what about Philadelphia Eagles fans? 15 years ago, Andy Reid got them to a Super Bowl and kind of choked it away with poor clock management and, well, some things going on with Donovan McNabb. But are Philly fans today rooting for the success of Andy Reid, for him to get that elusive Super Bowl that he does not have and probably puts him over the top into the Hall of Fame? Let's listen in. WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia on their perspective on Andy Reid, their former coach. Why this many years afterwards do I have to root for Andy Reid? I don't, I mean, the, the last thing that I thought of after they won the game yesterday was, oh, I can't wait to watch this post game so I can watch Andy Reid. And I don't need to go overboard and over the top with acting like this is happening to one of our teams. It's not one of our teams. Andy Reid used to coach the Eagles. Andy Reid did a good job when he was here with the Eagles, right? He went to one Super Bowl. We're acting like this is a multiple championship winner that we're happy to go see have success somewhere else. Yeah, and it's like I, I'm, my week isn't going to be ruined if they lose. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing Andy win. I'm rooting for Andy V. No question about it. 100% I'm all in. But the Philadelphia fans, I mean, Andy V turned a franchise around that are losing tradition. And now folks want to say they want to root for him? I go back to 1960 with Eagles. Like, I'm an old scorer. Um, I've seen the worst of the Philadelphia Eagles. And Andy Reid deserves to win the Super Bowl. I hope he does. We lost with a franchise quarterback to Brad Johnson and Jake Elton. 
And look, I appreciate everything Andy did for this city. But he doesn't deserve, like you said, to win a Super Bowl. He has to earn it. The big reason I don't root for him, though, is more of a personal thing with the, like a safe haven for guys who uh, you know, I didn't like it, when it, Vic was here. I dealt with it, but once you go into the yeah, it just rolls me the wrong way. Andy Reid's not an Eagles coach. Hasn't been an Eagles coach in almost a decade. What's all the love? They, they hated him. The only reason they're giving him love now is because y'all won a Super Bowl. That's a big, yeah, right. that's a, that's a big Super- part of it. It's a big part of it. But he, des- he deserves it. It ain't no big part. It's, it's the only part of it. That's where we start with the Radio.com Red Zone Sports Radio WIP in Philadelphia. I thought that Ross Tucker would be unanimous. I thought all Eagles fans at this juncture would root for Andy Reid, Big Red, to win a Super Bowl solely for the fact that they've got Doug Peterson now and they have that Super Bowl title and it came against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. I'm surprised everyone in Philly doesn't unanimously root for Andy Reid. But then again, Philadelphia is a very different, unusual sports market. Well, and this is why I think on some level it depends on the situation and depends on the person, right? So, like, I really like Andy Reid personally, so I'd love to see him win a Super Bowl. He's an awesome guy. He's treated me well and even my family members well when they've been around him one time. Um, so I'd love to see him win a Super Bowl. I think he's an awesome guy. But even if it weren't that part of it, I think people don't remember clearly what the Eagles were like before Andy Reid was the coach. I mean, for several years, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL until he got hired, turned it around, and they had the longest sustained success in franchise history. I mean, conference championship game after conference championship game. And yes, there was some disappointment in those games, for sure. Only got to one Super Bowl. Didn't win the whole thing. And I think the polls that they do in Philadelphia would be a little bit different if the Eagles had never won one. Now that the Eagles have won one, I think if the Eagles had never won one, people would not be more people would not be rooting for him because of jealousy. Because they would be like, no, I don't want him to win one. We never won one. But now that the Eagles have won one recently, now more of them are willing to say, sure, go ahead. Andy Andy should get one too. We have one. He can get one too. I don't understand the people that are not rooting for him. I don't think you have to go out of your way, Dave, and be like, go Andy. it's It's not your team. It's not the Eagles, right? Like You don't need to go out of your way for it. But I think you can root for him. Like, if you're going to watch that Chiefs-Niners game, I think you can root for the Chiefs to win instead of the Niners. I think, like, I think that's fair. I don't understand the people that don't want to see him win. That's a weird one to me. Now, if it were Chip Kelly who got rid of Deshaun Jackson, got rid of LaShawn McCoy, that's a different story, which is why I think it's tough to answer the, do you cheer on or do you want success or happiness for your exes? Not, they're not all created equal. Andy Reid, yes. Chip Kelly, no. Yeah, see, I think a lot of it has to do with where you are personally, professionally, a relationship, whatever. It depends on, like, if you if a girl dumped you, but it ended up leading you to a far better girl who you ended up marrying, then of course you can root for her to stay hot and find success. If a business fires you and it leads you to a much better opportunity, then I think you can be okay with their success. And in the case of the Philadelphia Eagles, I would think, hey, we got Doug Peterson. We got a Super Bowl. We're happy. No reason we don't want Andy Reid to go win a Super Bowl. You have to root for Big Red. Don't understand like you. Don't understand the few there that don't. And as for the notion that, you know, uh, that we heard from a caller there on WIP that Andy Reid only wins with, you know, guys like Tyree Kill or Michael Vick. You know what? Name me a great coach that won Super Bowls without truly special, historic, all-time greats. 
I don't think you can find one of those. That that seeming, seems to me a bit of a, a ridiculous comparison. Now, on the other side of the Super Bowl, there's the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, who, of course, was a member of the New England Patriots, and they had no choice but to trade him away because Tom Brady wasn't comfortable with his presence, went around Bill Belichick. Bill Bob Kraft said, look, this is how it's got to be, at least how that's how reports look at this point. So what if you're in Boston? What if you're a Patriots fan? And now you're looking at the end of Tom Brady's career the last couple of years and maybe him going elsewhere. Can you root for Jimmy G to win a Super Bowl? Here's WEEI Sports Radio in Boston on the Radio.com Red Zone. Is Tom Brady rooting for Patrick Mahomes or Jimmy Garoppolo? Definitely Mahomes. He's not rooting for anybody. He's rooting against Garoppolo. (laughs) Because I think it's going to just start the conversation of, man, they really should have kept Garoppolo. Like, do you think Brett Favre was rooting for Aaron Rodgers? No, I don't think they liked each other. Okay. But if you actually think he's a pretty good person, then why are you rooting against him? Because you're that insecure? Because he might get his first ring, which, oh boy, if he goes five more times, well, he might challenge it's me. it's his third ring. But, but I, I think it also... Right. I think Relax. It also, I know. What, three Super Bowl rings? Good point. If sure. he's that insecure, yeah. then yeah. what are we doing? If you had traded away Tom Brady and kept Jimmy Garoppolo... I am not convinced that you would have gotten to two Super Bowls and won one. I just don't buy it. You fast forward to where he is now, and and he hasn't been asked to do a lot the last couple games in the playoffs, and everybody says maybe that second-round draft choice looks like a pretty good trade from the the New England side of things. The complaint is, the gripe would be, man, who's going to be the guy that takes his spot? It could have been Jimmy. We could have had six, seven years. Of Jimmy Garoppolo. I get that, but you know, when when they made that trade, my only thing was, let's see how long Tom stays, and let's see how successful they are. And I think we've gotten that answer. And the answer is, you should be fine if you're a Patriots fan. lot to unpack there from Sports Radio WEEI in Boston on the Radio.com Red Zone. Number one, Tom Brady's not insecure if he wants Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. That's just human nature if he doesn't want the guy that was traded away because of his wishes not to win a Super Bowl. That's just human nature that Tom Brady, the fire that drives this guy, doesn't want Jimmy Garoppolo to go win a Super Bowl, although I think he can root. For Jimmy, I think they're friendly. I think Tom is secure enough. Would I root for him? No. Now, New England Patriots fans, you got to be happy with the way this ended, okay? You got two Super Bowl trips and one win having to trade away Jimmy Garoppolo. The only thing you should be angry at is the most ironic thing, I believe, in the career of Bill Belichick, Ross. And one thing I will never figure out, hopefully someone can get an honest answer out of Belichick at some point, why he clearly had the goal of sending Jimmy Garoppolo to a perfect situation. He has a relationship with the Shanahan family. He wanted a soft landing for him. Lynch, Shanahan, classy organization, chance to rebuild. I think Bill Belichick could have gotten a lot more return on that investment, could have gotten at least a higher first-round pick um, out of that Jimmy Garoppolo trade. So that's the question I would have if I were a Patriots fan. And you? Yeah, I thought that was a little bit weird how quickly that trade went down. And it seemed like there were other teams, maybe like if I remember correctly, the Cleveland Browns, that would have been willing to offer more. Yeah for Jimmy G at that point, which doesn't really make sense because it it's it goes against Belichick's stated public reasoning for everything, which is yeah. doing what's best for the team. Gotta do what's best for the team. It feels like he didn't do what was best for the team because there were leaked reports that the Browns would have offered more. It feels like Belichick on some level whether it was a personal grudge against the Browns still or a desire to put Jimmy in a good situation to maybe show up Robert Kraft for making him trade him and show, I I don't know what the logic is or the reason. Maybe he just liked Jimmy G that much. I don't know. It's a fascinating, fascinating situation. Uh, I don't know what Brady's thinking. Uh, Do we know what Brady's thinking? I mean, I mean, I know what he'll say publicly, Deep down, I don't know because, you know, you might say, oh, he wants Mahomes. I got news for you. 
If Mahomes wins, then in his first two years as a starter, he's got two conference championship games, an MVP, a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl MVP. He'd be ahead of the Brady pace at this point if Mahomes wins the Super Bowl. So I don't think there's any good choices for Brady, quite frankly. Radio.com baseball analyst, MLB network analyst as well. John Heyman, he has a Hall of Eight and joins a Hall of Fame vote. He joins us on the program. John, thank you for your time. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Uh, Derek Jeter, one vote shy of joining Mariano as unanimous. Should these votes be public? What should be done with that one dude, if we ever figure out who it is, what should be done with that writer? Uh, well, I can tell you it wasn't me. I voted for Jeter. I don't know who it was. I would like all the votes to be public. Uh, you know, it seems to be the opposite of what you think as a journalist, and the voters are journalists, and uh, they, you think they'd want uh, full disclosure and explanations and all that. Uh, I certainly give mine, and I think more than half the voters do at this point. But, uh, you know, if I didn't vote for Derek Jeter, maybe I'd want to be private, too. I mean, there's no... There's no good reason not to vote for Derek Jeter. I guess you could say, well, Tom Seaver, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, they all should have been unanimous as well, so no big deal. And that is true, but uh, I am curious as well as to what the reasoning was. More, more about the reasoning than the person, it's hard to believe. Yeah, that was going to be my question, John. Do you think it's someone that's just such a big fan of either Mariano Rivera or one of those other guys that you mentioned <laughs> and didn't feel like Jeter was deserving of, of joining Rivera on the unanimous mantle? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I hope that wasn't it. That, that would make no sense to me. If you think someone deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, you should vote for them. You're not obligated to vote for 10. I did it this year. I had uh, in the previous uh, four or five elections. But the, the, the ballot opened up. Uh, we had four guys get in last year, so uh, it was pretty wide open. I mean, I know that the one excuse has been in the past. Someone wants to game the system and say, I want to see Bobby Abreu stay on that ballot. I'm going to give him a vote. That'll be my 10th vote, and not Jeter, something like that could happen. I don't know. I'd love to hear the explanation, but because as I looked at that ballot, there was one obvious candidate who you simply had to vote for, and that was Jeter. I thought there were 15 other Good candidates, uh, they were either arguable or borderline, whatever you want to call them. I didn't think anybody else was a, an iconic figure, an all-time great, who you had to vote for, um, but you absolutely had to vote for Derek Peter. So I'm, I am very curious as to what happened here. Talking to a Hall of Fame voter, John Heyman, MLB Network, Radio.com, Baseball Insider. I thought there was another obvious choice, but then again, John, I'm from Colorado. I think without a doubt, Larry Walker is a Hall of Fame. Couldn't be happier that your ballot was wrong in that regard. How do you think Larry Walker is not a Hall of Famer? 313 career header, uh, best OPS in the history of the game as far as a right fielder, and 15th all-time in that category. Well, uh, I think it was either 2014 or 15, so only five or six years ago where he got 10% of the vote. So 90% of the people agreed with me at that point, and I don't remember any outcry from anybody. There might have been some, but uh, it was pretty muffled if there was. Um, I think that uh, you know the Internet, uh, the people who are stat people, um, and, and they have good points, they have fair points, and it's an arguable case, um, convinced the other... 66% to uh, go ahead and change their mind. I, I know in the past we were criticized for changing our minds because a uh, guy's career didn't change, and I rarely have changed my mind. Sometimes on that last year I give a guy a vote who I hadn't voted for, and I certainly considered this uh, long and hard and uh, ultimately decided uh, that uh, he wasn't one of my top five, and uh, so I didn't vote for him. Um, you know, I thought it was... Uh, interesting to see him go from 10 to 76, and uh, certainly if you get three-quarters of a vote, you know, I think it's fair to say you're deserving and you're in. So I have nothing against it. I'm happy for him. Uh, uh, my issue was the availability more than anything else. Um, mm. You know, I understand he had a very high war, uh, great all-around player, but uh, I think there was only one year in which he played 145 or more games. I know that he was involved with two strikes short shortened years, so there could have been three there eventually, but, uh, you know, I think the availability is huge, and, uh, you know, if you're not playing, then you 
uh, particularly in those years where they yeah. weren't wasn't such emphasis on the bench. It, it was usually somebody who was not nearly as good as him who was playing. So um, he, you know, I, I go by impact. I I didn't see uh, you know he didn't have a signature moment. Uh, did not have the impact that I thought should be a Hall of Famer, but right. I'm fine with it. It's good. I'm, congratulations <laughs> to him. All right. He's an MVP, two-time batting champ, 565 OPS, but I'll rest my case. We can all agree he wore a Hall of Fame-worthy shirt on MLB Network, SpongeBob SquarePants, all over his shirt on the moment he gets into the hall. Talking to John Heyman, MLBNetworkRadio.com, Baseball Insider. I thought your ballot was very interesting and in that you voted for Barry Bonds, but not Roger Clemens. Can you explain that process? Yeah, I generally do not vote for the steroid guys. I do believe that one Bonds, the narrative for Bonds, that he, he was a Hall of Famer when he started taking the steroids. Um, since there is kind of a line of demarcation where he goes from just a fantastic all-around player to Babe Ruth, and you can kind of tell when he started taking the steroids. So I thought he was a Hall of Famer at that point. Uh, I, I had a, a tougher time making that case for Clemens. I'm not sure what to believe with him. I do believe he perjured himself, even if he was found uh, not guilty in the trial. Um, and so I, I, I just don't know what to believe with Clemens, and I generally do not vote for the steroid guys. They've already made a lot more money than they would have ordinarily. They made uh, got many more awards in some cases, and uh, I, I am conflicted on Bonds, and uh, I, I didn't originally vote for him, and I changed and vote for him just because of the narrative that uh, he, he was not a steroid bullet taker until uh, Sosa and McGuire passed him. So that's how I differentiate, and I understand that they're very close, but every case to me is an individual case, so I look at everything individually. John, what I think is interesting about that is, like, how do you know Larry Walker never took steroids? I guess that's yeah, we don't, we, you didn't, right. you didn't gonna, vote for him. <laughs> yeah, we don't know, but I'm going to presume uh, with no evidence that he that he is clean. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly not going to presume something negative about somebody. Uh, I uh, The players with no evidence against, I uh, take as clean and just go by their exploits and uh, their accolades and their career and... Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the, not only the majority, the three-quarter majority uh, felt he's a Hall of Famer. So uh, that's good enough for me. So then, so just so I know, John, the uh, the Hall doesn't say anything in terms of the steroid guys. It's really just up to the individual voters to say whether or not they they want to vote for the guys that have been implicated with steroid use. That's correct. It's all up to the voters, and that's why you see such a wide disparity of the way people handle it. Some people just vote uh, for uh, vote, vote against the guys who had a failed test and do vote for the other steroid guys. Some vote for no steroids, some, and many more are now just not weighing it at all. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's a, a matter of, not of morality, really, but of authenticity, how authentic was somebody's career. And there is a character clause, so uh, it does play into it. Uh, so I'm generally uh, against the ster- honoring the steroid guys. I, I know there are some people who say, well, there are steroid guys already in, so uh, I'm going to uh, vote for the, these steroid guys now. And I, I find that funny, particularly if you voted for those guys you knew were steroid guys, just didn't have the proof. And now you're saying, well, I I knew it, but I voted for them anyway, and now they're in. So now I'm going to now I'm changing and voting for the uh, the ones that we know took steroids. Uh, you know, I find that odd. Some people are going to find my ballot odd. The way I look at this ballot, mm-hmm. you had to vote for Derek Jeter. There are 15 other guys you can make a case for, uh, for or against. Uh, they were either borderline, again, not pejorative, but if you're a borderline Hall of Famer, you're still a great player. Either borderline or a great player such as Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa, but had that steroid taint. So uh, there was one guy you absolutely had to vote for, and uh, that was Jeter. The other ones, I think, were all arguable to a degree. You talk about character, and no steroid allegations with Kurt Schilling, but certainly character issues after he stepped away from the game. And you did vote for Kurt Schilling. We're talking to John Heyman, MLB Network, Radio.com, Baseball Insider. Uh, Kurt does not get in, but you did vote for him. Uh, An interesting piece on Yahoo Sports this morning says, every vote that pushes Schilling close to induction is complicit in both normalizing and rewarding his reprehensible 
behavior, some very controversial political <laughs> uh, statements after baseball for Kurt Schilling. One, why did you vote for him? 11-2 all-time postseason, three World Series rings, and one World Series MVP. And do you think his post-baseball character is the reason he's not and may not get in? Yeah, I'm going to guess whoever wrote that, I didn't see that, may not be a voter. I do think the voters um, generally have a different standard for the character. I mean, you might say mine is low. I don't know, but I, I vote for Kurt Schilling uh, as a whole. So there's one year I did not. That was the year that he did the tweet with the rope and the seeming a seeming threat or, or wish that uh, journalists uh, be hung. Uh, I deferred that vote, but uh, promised to vote again in future years for Schilling. And um, if everybody voted like me, he would have gotten in with 100% of the vote uh, every year but one that he was on. I, I, I think the, I, I do look at the character issue. Uh, I do find his views and behavior reprehensible. But uh, for me, the bar is low. I mean, if it's O.J. Simpson, yeah, I'm not going to vote for him. His character is too low for me. But uh, if it's just somebody with some wacky opinions of things, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold that against him. So, and I, I think very few writers do. He does get 70% of the vote, and uh, it's very hard to get that high of percent. And uh, I would say that of the 30% he doesn't get, I would posit that almost all of them are because his career num totals are not that spectacular for a Hall of Famer. I, I, I think you could make a case against him, uh, just based on the merits. I, I wouldn't make that case because, as I said earlier, when we talk about Walker, I vote on impact. Kurt Schilling had a major impact. You, you could not write the story of the last 25 years of baseball without mentioning Kurt Schilling many times. He was a big player, huge, in the two championships and pretty big in the third as well. So, uh, to me, he had a huge impact. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, well, I don't agree with his positions. I don't love his behavior. I don't consider that, and I think very few do. He's getting 70% of the vote, after all. Uh, John, speaking of character, uh, i got to ask you, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole Astros, Red Sox cheating thing. I have not yet seen your position on any of the players involved whether or not you think that they will and or should face any sort of discipline. Yeah, well, they're not going to face discipline because the reports already come out and uh, Commissioner Manfred handed out his discipline and uh, that was a year-long suspension for uh, Luno and, uh, and Hinch uh, with the Astros plus the loss of the draft choices and the $5 million fine. So uh, I think he was appropriately tough. He said he was going to be tough after the... Apple Watch incident in 2017, he made it clear that uh, he management uh, better not uh, be party to any of this. And uh, when they were, he uh, punished uh, pretty severely. Um, that said, uh, you know, I understand why none of the players were punished. I get it. Um, I get why the owner wasn't really punished. $5 million is a drop in the bucket for an owner. I don't consider that a, a major punishment. Um, you know, the evidence wasn't that clear, perhaps, for the owner and the players to get them to talk, and uh, you, the, the union would not let them talk unless they had uh, the immunity. So uh, that's why they were not punished. That doesn't mean they were absolved, mm -hmm. and that goes for coaches on that staff. I've seen some coaches come out and say, uh, suggest that they were absolved. Uh, that's not right. They were just not punished. Um, so it, it, the punishment ended up being uneven. I don't think that was Commissioner Manfred's fault. I think he had to give the immunity to the players uh, to get to the bottom of it. He did get to the bottom of it, and uh, he appropriately gave out some uh, stiff penalties. I would like to see the players uh, really apologize and show some, some contrition for what's gone on here because uh, they're still making their big salaries, and uh, A.J. Hinch and now Alex Cora and uh, – uh, Jeff Luno, I have to wonder what's going to happen with their careers. I happen to think that uh, Hinch will land on his feet, and uh, I think Cora probably will too. But uh, I think the players owe, the, uh, because we we do believe this was player-driven, they owe some big apologies to these men, and uh, I have not seen it from them so far. 
None. We did not see any in the case of Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve the other day. Very unfortunate, the lack of accountability for the players who are grown men. This is not college sports. A good point. John Heyman with us, MLB Network, Radio.com, Baseball Insider. Pedro Martinez, a Hall of Famer, weighed in yesterday and said, what happens in the clubhouse should stay in the clubhouse. Again, finding fault with the whistleblower here, Mike Fires, which has been pretty consistently the opinion. I think that's uh, just awful that that continues to be the opinion. Fires was the only guy, in my estimation, that had any integrity in this situation. What do you make of Pedro's opinion there? And did MLB really find out about this cheating scandal, courtesy a column in The Athletic? Are they that pathetic that they did not have an understanding of what was going on? I find that really hard to believe. Well, I mean, I think the rumors were out there, but I think that the investigation began when Mike Fires opened up to the Athletic and, uh, as you said, uh, showed integrity. I think he also showed guts because there were other guys who verified uh, what he saw and have not been named yet. Uh, so there are a few people who I think are heroes in this, but, you know, obviously Fires is the biggest one. Um, yeah, I mean, Pedro Martinez, great guy, fantastic announcer, but, you know, he has an opinion that a lot of ball players have, which is that whatever happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. He's now in the media, so uh, he should realize he's in the media now, and that shouldn't be his opinion. So, uh, but you know, once you're a ball player and a great ball player, it's probably hard to get that out of your system. I saw Jessica Mendoza uh, suggested the same thing. Of course, uh, she had a horse in the race, uh, being that. Uh, uh, she is a uh, worker with an employee with the Mets. Uh, you know, Pedro's not with the Red Sox anymore, I don't believe. So I don't think he really has a horse in the race, but he just subscribed to the old theory that whatever stay goes on in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think that may be true of Las Vegas, but not in the clubhouse. John, last one for me. Uh, how bad is this for Major League Baseball? I, I just know sometimes I wonder if – any publicity is good publicity. The NFL, I almost feel like, embraces controversy at times. And I'm wondering if this is really that bad for baseball that everybody's talking about it so much. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I guess there's some good, some bad. It's a double-edged sword. I would say overall it's not good. I don't think it's great to have the 2017 World Series championship uh, tainted to any degree and perhaps 2018 as well. We will soon find out. Um, you know, I think the MLB did a good job coming down and uh, giving out some stiff penalties, and hopefully this will discourage anybody from doing it in the future. And obviously, yeah, people are talking about it, but there's a lot of talk in the offseason about Major League Baseball between the free agents uh, that are signed. Uh, that was some happy talk, and we had the Hall of Fame yesterday, which was happy talk, particularly for you from Colorado. That was a plus. And, uh, <laughs> To me, this is mostly negative, but uh, hopefully that the tough decision means that we won't have to go through this again. Not happy talk for this Rockies fan before we go is all this about Nolan Arenado, the, the greatest third baseman in the game today. Where is he next year? <laughs> well, uh, it's not good for the Rockies. Uh, you're right about that. Uh, they're already in a tough spot uh, having to trade, try to trade. Uh, I don't know if they, they have to trade, but they had to at least put on a show that they were trying to trade because he was clearly unhappy. And, and that now it's, it's explained why they were shopping uh, such a great player on such a long-term deal. And uh, it's bad for the Rockies. Uh, the trade value uh, was going to be tough anyway because he's got a huge contract. Um, plus, he's got a no trade, and he's got an opt-out in two years. We just saw Rendon signed for similar money as a free agent, uh, the Angels only gave up a draft choice. So why should a team give up three, four great prospects to take on a similar contract, particularly with a guy who's got an opt-out? You're going to have to do something to satisfy that opt-out. I think the no-trade clause, that might be solved easily because he's probably pretty clearly wanting to get out. So uh, uh, you got that. But it's uh, the fact that it's now become public, and I don't blame Nolan Arenado. He's frustrated. He, when he yeah. signed that deal, they assured him they were going to try to win. They obviously have not done that. and But now the team is in a very particular bind because what do you do? Everybody knows that they really need to trade him at some point here before the two years are up. 
It is a bumbling, stumbling organization that I root for. And the second he signed that contract, <laughs> I, I felt like there was it was inevitable that they could not afford it a year or two later. Everyone in Rocky's universe saw this coming. It's really unfortunate the way it has ended. And uh, just pathetic handling by, by my team. John Heyman, we really appreciate the time on a Wednesday here on Home and Home. Follow John Heyman. Check him out on MLB Network and here on Radio.com. Appreciate the time, man. All right. Good talking to you. Good luck to your Rockies. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need luck. We're going to need an awful lot more than that. Hey, everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.